Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where everyone's talking about the new billboard from the Center for Inquiry, you can find us online at freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonabledoubts, our new website, or you can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, Ada, Grand Rapids, and W237CZ, Hudsonville. 1680 AM and 95.3 FM, and streaming at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Yellow. Teen pop sensation, Justin Schieber. Hello. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Good morning. We're recording this episode 10 years to the day, actually to the hour almost, mm of the attacks on September 11th, 2001. Yeah, and there's listening on the radio, they just had the first moment of silence mm. to commemorate when the first plane hit the towers. So Every media outlet is doing coverage of the 10th anniversary, even though, let's face it, the 10th anniversary doesn't mean anything more than the 9th or the 3rd or anything else. But we like round numbers. Because we evolved to have five digits. On <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what makes it more it's meaningful. anatomically the... interesting. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we're not, we're not really looking to do a retrospective, but I think it is an important topic for us to talk about in a podcast like ours because uh, September 11th was incredibly significant for the skeptical movement in a lot of ways. Um, I know for myself, as well as many other fence-sitters at the time, this was the day where the destructive power of religion became absolutely indisputable. This was no longer a philosophical exercise. This was religion kills. And that's what Sam Harris said that uh, spurred him to move forward with his end of Right. And a faith book, yeah. which was the first of the four new atheists. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners have seen the image of the New York skyline with the Twin Towers that says, imagine no religion under it. Right. Take, I think that was... religious foundation. Yeah, yeah. It's a familiar image now, and it's it's almost cliche, but I think it is important to recognize um, the influence of religion and why... The work that we do and all activists in uh, uh, skepticism and so forth, why what we do is important, Um, whether it's, you know, ranging from the events of September 11th to the death of a child of a Jehovah's Witness whose parents won't let them get a needed blood transfusion. Religion can be a very powerful force for the negative. One positive thing to talk about um, today is that many memorial services are very specifically excluding religious statements from their proceedings. In New York City, for example, Mayor Bloomberg said specifically that he was keeping any religious statements out of the the ceremony of the um, 
tenth anniversary, although anniversary always feels like a awful word. For well, us. yeah, which led to mm-hmm. a bunch of you know the the expected backlash. From mm-hmm. the various religious yeah. figures, like the Richard Land from the Baptist, who was saying that, right. that you know this has gone too far. I mean, the mayor's in a bad position in this case because if he would, if he did allow religious things, then a lot of people, both religious and non-religious, would say we wanted this without religion, right. or, or right. you know, or it, do you? Who do you include? Do you include a Christian? And then what about all the Muslims who died? Yeah, in right. and, and I think yeah, there was no way to do it that would make everyone no. happy. It, it's clearly the right thing to do constitutionally to exclude religious observance from a public event like this. I, you know, call me a cynic. I'm not sure that Bloomberg and the other people who are, are doing the same thing are necessarily diehard church-state separationists. I think there may be that um, issue of including Muslims if they include you know, if we have a a Christian minister, right. we have to have a Catholic, we have to have a Protestant, we have to blah, 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 blah. Well, what about Muslims? And they don't want to include You think they're Muslims. trying to avoid another 9-11 mosque scenario yeah, type of yeah. thing? I another... think very much so. There's a really good show, if any of our listeners see it on, on the front line, I think on PBS, they have a show called Faith and Doubt at Ground Zero. I mm. think it first aired in 2002 or three, maybe, but they talked about the role of religion with survivors or right. people who lost loved ones. And I actually saw some of the same people last night that did a CNN re- retrospective and uh, and they had the guys, the only four guys who made it out above the impact at the South Tower. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, and one of them, like, had saved the other one by, like, pounding through the stairwell and dragging this guy out. And they used Jeez. a lot of God <laughs> language. You know, they're like, God held the tower up until we were out and then he let it go. Or, like, you know, God was... Um, was uh, was be- I felt that his bubble was protecting me and giving me oxygen and that sort of thing. Right. And and there was a quote actually that I, the the mm. quote I liked most from this PBS show was of a rabbi that says you know if you are going to say that God saved you, that's fine as long as you could go over to the loved ones and then look right. and look at their eyes and say why God's plan included saving you and not and them. Not now if you, and if you yeah. can do that, well you know. More power to you, but uh... that's yeah, yeah. That uh, uh, it really puts a hat on on people who uh, feel themselves the, the special power of God saving yeah. them. I don't even think they're thinking when they no, say that. No, they're not. They're not. Uh, it, oh, I'm it's, sure they don't just, mean anything yeah, negative. By yeah, it, it's just no. one of those those kind of myop, myopic moments. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it, it almost even... upsets me more because of that. <laughs> Maybe even it I'm not actually them. trying to excuse it. I'm I'm more just saying this is how selfish we can get, looking at only our own our own vantage point and calling upon the divine, not even thinking for a moment. Hey, look, what I'm saying has implications for other people. And, and as a skeptical podcast, I guess we should also mention the corruption of skepticism. Um, that is the 9/11 truthers. Mm-hmm. Um, these people who frankly, have made the job of actual skeptics so much harder for the past 10 years. For us, skepticism is a process. For them, skepticism is a conclusion, right? Don't trust the government. Don't trust the official report of anything. Is this movement that said that flights actually came out of Kenya or? Yeah, I mean, there are so many (laughs) different insane theories about this ranging from you know uh, tower seven was 
blown up, that they were missiles that hit the buildings instead of planes. I mean, it's insane. And that's not real skepticism. That is that's conspiracy theory thinking. And uh, I heard on that's that not doing anyone any good when they did a psycho history of the uh, a psychobiography of the hijackers. Apparently, before this all had occurred, when they were in the 1990s living in, in Hamburg, mm-hmm. they had speculated that the, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal was going on. They speculated that Monica Lewinsky was a Mossad agent designed to bring Bill Clinton down. That was their theory. Wow. With that. Wow. It's all the Jews. It's all so, Mossad. I believe it. So the 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 actual people involved with the real conspiracy yes, to do this that's what the, were actually crazy conspiracy. That's nuts the funny themselves. part is you can see like yeah. Mohammed Atta and his buddies are like you know <laughs> I think it's the Mossad bringing down Bill Clinton. That is, that's oh it all makes sense I, now. I've never heard that before. <laughs> now, arguably, there is more dislike and distrust of Muslims now than there was in the immediate aftermath after 9-11. And certainly there was a pretty good fair share of that. I was just listening to um, a Muslim from New York City talking about what it was like in the immediate aftermath. And and he he was in college and he and all of his Muslim classmates all of a sudden started passing for non-Muslims yeah. immediately yeah. after because they, they mm-hmm. were in danger. I had a student in the mid-2000s who uh, from Malaysia, and she had just arrived for her study abroad at Grand Valley in mm. September of 2001. Wow. And she was wearing her headscarf at, uh, for a while. But then at Meyer's, you know, at Meyer Grocery, somebody came up to her and said, F Islam and, and everything. So wow. she didn't wear that anymore after yeah. that. Hmm. But are, arguably... Things are even worse now than they were then thanks to, you know, multiple wars in the region and so forth. And because immediately there was the – I don't know. I, I feel like shock kind of helped people that we went, this is so horrific. We're all, we're all in this together. You yeah, know? there was there was a paradoxical response. I think a lot of the surveys show that there is both a hardening of – kind of prejudice and in-group negative attitudes but there uh, and militarism obviously but there's also a there's also stronger pro-social tendencies so people were giving blood more mm-hmm. and and saying that they were helping people more and taking time to stop and you know spend time with their neighbors and families so there, there was this sort of thing can actually produce both things what, what I thought was interesting though was looking at the stats over time about about opinions about Muslims and religious outgroups. So there was actually a survey that was done uh, by the uh, Public Religion Institute and the Brookings Institution that talked about opinions of, among other groups, Muslims. And there shows it's an interesting polarization where you see that uh, overall um, that that the there's a high rate of disapproval of Muslims. But one of the things that struck me most was the the double standard when evaluating a violent act mm. that was purported to have been committed by a Muslim versus right. a Christian. Mm. Uh, we it, we saw this with kind of the Bill O'Reilly with right, the Norwegian right, shooter Norway, thing too, yeah. where uh, I think the the stat is that 83% of Americans that say that a self-proclaimed Christian who commits an act of violence in the name of Christianity is not really a Christian. Mm-hmm. But less than half or 48% of Americans say that a self-proclaimed Muslim who commits an act of violence in the name of Islam are not really Muslims. So, you know, clearly there's a gap there of about 40% where people would say that, you know, if you commit a violent act, you're not a Christian, but you are a Muslim. When you break down some of these stats by 
party and by and actually they also broke it down by uh, the media that they view you see uh, yeah, again, that was none an of, interesting none of this should be a surprise but people who are like democrats independents and unaffiliated types don't really show that much negative perceptions of muslims there's a certain percentage of them that right. do, of but it's really polarized by the group that shows the most negative attitudes and some of these things are like 20 point gaps of things like favorable opinions of muslims the democrats you get about maybe 70 percent favorable but republicans you get 45 48 less than half yeah. yeah here's the one that, that always kills me that the u.s muslims want to institute sharia law yeah you have, yeah. you know, of the Tea Partiers, <laughs> you get like 55% of them say that they want to institute I'm actually Sharia shocked law. it's that low. That, I'd, I'd be shocked if any one of them actually knew what Sharia law was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just sounds foreign. But the, the thing that's most ironic and delicious about that is... I don't the, like Sharia, her laws. She can take her laws and I leave. wanted them to this do a follow-up question of, you know, do you think Muslims are going to try and institute Sharia law? Hell yeah! Do you, would you like to have the, you know, this become a Christian nation? Hell yeah! Right. So it's it's bad to yeah. have religious laws when it's not. By your the way, Sharia religion. law, yeah. like the death penalty, is that uh, something they, they actually have a real share a lot with? in common? Yeah. So hey, we <laughs> eject our people. Uh, we don't stone them. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting with people who believed that Muslims are trying to establish Sharia law in the United States. If you looked at the Republicans who didn't trust Fox News. Their numbers of believing that dropped down to the average population. Really? So, so Fox where, News is the fact. Where you were, yeah, well, at least in that one, <laughs> yeah. where you actually get your media made a difference. I think that that's that what note. disturbs me most about some of these things. Clearly, people see things differently as a function of their politics. And clearly, we know that they see different routes of information. Liberals tend to, you know, read their crazy mainstream <laughs> propaganda like New York Times and and Republicans have their um, their Fox News. But those things potentiate each other. And I think what I find most disturbing is nowadays with the Internet and with cable news, you, you can be allowed your own reality mm -hmm. inter and, and, mm -hmm. and, and it has a feed forward loop where it makes it has a polarizing effect. There was a book out a few years ago called The Big Sort, which tried to explain why. Uh, people polarize so much. We're choosing our own communities. You know, if you're a liberal in Texas, you head to Austin. If you uh, are, you know, conservative in, in, a, in, a, in like suburbs, tend to and the the gaps and percentage points of people diverging in polarization is is greater and greater. And so, you know, this is what group research shows is that when you have a group, uh, they tend to polarize. Uh, in that you assume that other people are like-minded or they might even try to flank each other on the extremes, Tea Party, where you get more and more and more conservative or liberal and you're not forced to interact with anybody else. And so this whole media thing of, of conservatives getting their news from Fox, you know, their information from Fox News, it looks as if, you know, th this is also partially responsible for this polarization effect that you can if you watch that all you hear about is sharia muslims taking over blah 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 as opposed to it being like one dominant figure like it used to be 20 years ago you'd see walter cronkite or something say this is the way it is right. i was to vietnam it's not working out but now you can just choose your own station and read your own books yeah but the other uh, research I found interesting recently that looked at um, the the issue of Muslims as well as atheists uh, and how visceral, emotional the dislike is. There was a study that came out in the uh, Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. The authors were Preston and Ritter, I believe. But they uh, did a, 
a study that should remind listeners, I think in the past, I forget what episode it was, but I talked about different research on moral uh, disgust uh, where mm-hmm. it, the uh, physical taintedness, like something that is uh, perceived as being unclean or unpure, translates into a moral disdain for something mm-hmm. such that, and there's these cool experiments where they have people like, well, uh, just copy down uh, a passage that has some sort of negative act. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even their act and that they feel morally tainted. And so they uh, appreciate cleaning products more in a different study afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Amway has been using those tactics for 50 years. <laughs> or, that, or when you have somebody use an alcohol wipe after writing the passage, the effect disappears. So physically wow. cleaning that, that was amazing to me. I was, so I was thinking this was kind of fishy, but that's an odd after effect. Well, you so what clean they do was, your hands. The, the and... question in this study was, does, does um, contemplating non-Christian ideologies Islam in particular and atheism, does it make a person feel who's a Christian feel morally impure? And so what they had these people do was is that they said, oh, we're going to have you do a couple experiments. One is a consumer taste test and the other one is like a handwriting and personality study. But we'll mix them in between each other so that you'll have time to uh, – there's two taste tests. You're going to drink this liquid like a lemon drink. And then we're going to have you clear your palate and take some time out. Why don't we do the handwriting study then, and mm-hmm. then we'll do the second taste test. Now, obviously, if you're a, a psych 101 student, you, you know that those two things are linked. So what they had the person do was taste this lemony beverage and rate how you know how appetizing versus disgusting it is. And then the handwriting copying thing was to give them a passage from the Koran or mm. the Bible, or the or Dawkins' God delusion, which is of course our Bible, which is inarguable. <laughs> All those right? are the same document, right? aren't they? Yeah, and so the, you can see the rationale there is that by copying down a passage that's either affirming of their Christian identity from mm-hmm. the Bible versus something that challenges that the the Quran passage or the God delusion passage, and then they had them do the second part of the taste test where they and the be, same the beverage was identical. Mm-hmm. They just said uh, look for subtle differences, but it was the same thing and. As you would expect, they rated the beverage as being more disgusting if they were in the group that copied down the Quran passage or the God delusion passage, but not the Bible passage. Meaning that their, I guess, moral taintedness of of being involved in copying down a passage that they considered anathema to their ideals translated into a disgust taste. It response. actually leaves a bad taste in it their left mouths. Left a bad taste in their mouths. And the kicker was, like we mentioned before, the some of these effects can be wiped away literally by having a person uh, do like a sanitizer. So they said, oh, one of our other products <laughs> is we uh, estimate how much we should sell this hand sanitizer for, or they had them actually take it out of the packet and wipe their hands with it to mm-hmm. try it out, and that eliminated this disgust effect. Yeah, so if, if I'm they, reading this, wow. this graph, that's, yeah, I know. That's that amazing. is so bizarre. Unbelievable. The human mind is so screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'm reading this graph right, does this mean the people who did wash their hands, just a tiny bit of them actually liked the Dawkins passage if they washed their hands? I don't know if the, the error the, Because you see the effect swings there. Well, yeah, it might be within the margin of error. Yeah. But it almost looks from the graph that if you if you washed your hands, like, eh, Dawkins ain't so bad. <laughs> At least just, just a little bit. Well, now, now, seriously, the, the implications of this would be that, that some, well, one is that a sense of moral aversion to these ideologies, or, or if you're looking at it from a Christian point of view, to Islam or to us, atheists, um, 
is not fixed in stone, but is situationally uh, alterable. I just got such an awesome idea. At the next atheism Christianity debate, we need to pass out hot towels. <laughs> yeah, pass out these steamed towels, you know, that like they do at nice restaurants or on yeah, the yeah. airplane, you know. Or pass or, them, or pass them out. The wet wipes. Yeah, yeah, or the, yeah, the microwavable wet wipe yeah. variety that'll save on cost. Yeah. Pass well, this, them around, let everybody feel nice and clean, and then they'll actually listen to what Sam Harris has to say. There's there's all <laughs> kinds of research that when you have, and I've talked before about things like uh, like worldview defense and terror management theory. There's all kinds of cool research basically saying that yes, that people have non-rational, which is no surprise, non-rational defenses of ideologies. And they don't. Uh, and the emotional response sometimes overwhelms all rational considerations, such that you have these crazy things like with wiping away the the uh, the the taintedness of that. But when you propose things to people who consider it morally anathema, they actually have uh, yes a visceral response, and often allowing them to reaffirm their ideology makes them less negative towards you. That mm-hmm. is, if so, you say something like, "Well, you're," I'm sure your Christianity. Uh, helps you to live well and it makes your life meaningful. If you reaffirm that part of their identity, they're less negative towards you if you challenge your identity. We talked about that a lot in our episode with Chris Mooney. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have to falsely Mm -hmm. compliment them, but if you share certain values and you say, hey, look, I think you really believe that you're pursuing truth and you really value those things, you it might be nice to just affirm some of the things that you actually have in common with the other side. Do you think if I washed my hands after watching Ghost Hunters or Peter Popoff or something you that I feel would feel bad better? about it? What, do, does it? do those shows make you feel icky and tainted? Oh, I, <laughs> I occasionally watch like the Ghost Hunters show because it's it's like watching sports for me. I yell at the TV and throw things. <laughs> So I guess it's the way my dad Oh, because of the lack of, lack of critical thinking. Yeah, oh, yeah. I get so frustrated. I'm like, logical fallacy. And uh, I just think afterwards, maybe if I washed my hands, I would enjoy the experience Keep a little some bit hand sanitizer. So, so it's like sports. Time out, time out, logical fallacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Flag on the play. You, you don't have referees on these reality shows, logical referees. Well, that would, it would it's, remain it's, to it's be seen. It's a bit strange calling it a reality show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would remain to be seen whether we, whether non-religious people would – have a similar taintedness more if, rational, if asked right? to consider a religious point of yeah, view. Yeah. Mm. Now, do we have the same visceral dislike? I would predict that we probably would, or at yeah. least a certain proportion. Probably. I, I yeah. think for for myself, I, I certainly see it every time I flip past uh, total Christian television or whatever TCT is. Or or forced to sit yeah. through, like if you go to... to or if a, I go to a wedding a, where there's a lot of... If you go to a, a church of, service yeah, with your relatives yeah. and, and you're forced to sit through it, I know a lot of people that just gr- grind their teeth through the whole thing. I wonder if the same effect would happen where they feel morally tainted. So you're I saying think, we're not superior to them? <laughs> I think years covering, years covering this psych stuff on the podcast now, if it should have taught us anything by this point, it's that we are no different. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We should not think that any of these forces uh, that we're exempt from, we might have a little bit of training in some areas that mm-hmm. helps us to override or, or it. Or at least that after the fact, but, we can examine or, yes, what, we, yeah. what happened to us. So speaking of uh, visceral dislike of atheists, uh, we've experienced some of that here in Grand Rapids recently. Yeah. Um, CFI, the Center for Inquiry, which, again, I always like to note, 
we're not directly affiliated with, but um, we are all personally members of CFI Michigan. <laughs> um, I share an office with them and a kitchenette. Our kids go to the same schools and we play, <laughs> yeah, we play exactly. with them. Um, they put up a new billboard, and this is one of, what is it, a, a dozen or so across the country? Yeah, I yeah. don't know the exact number, but this is a nine, campaign. Because yeah, different organizations are doing this, campaign. too, like Freedom from Religious Foundation yeah. has their billboards. Right. And blah, blah, this blah. is CFI's own billboard campaign. Yeah. And it's for the the website livingwithoutreligion.org. Mm-hmm. .org. Um, and what the billboard says... And this is yeah. I, I prepare yourself. Yeah, this, exactly. This is, this is really rough. Controversial stuff. I understand why people are upset about this. Yeah. It says you don't need God to hope, to care, to love, to live. Those bastards. Clearly, I mean, clearly inflammatory language. This and that is, has a picture of like a woman with her kids, kind of being all smiling. Yeah, it's like a stock photo. Yeah, yeah. 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 N- nice lady and kid kissing her on the cheek, and you know, it's a nice image. It went up in Grand Rapids, what, the beginning of September? Mm-hmm. Alongside a freeway. Yep. Uh, yep. And a, 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 a major well-traveled yeah, freeway. A major, a major freeway through here. And the day it went up, uh, Jeremy, I believe your wife. Uh, uh, My wife's with, the assistant director of yeah. CFI Michigan, so she's she got, I mean, 20 phone calls for interviews right. and was running off All to over the media. different media outlets and stuff because – because people were throwing a fit uh, just hours, just hours. Yeah, I think there was, what, four or 500 comments? There were already petitions mm-hmm. being yeah. organized to try to... And all to try three to... of the, uh, the local news networks, their little Facebooks have, like, mm-hmm. three, four hundred It's comments. one of the most active threads on yeah. any of yeah. the local news yeah. stations. Well, I think it's um, one measure of how, the, of how much responses they get because then they did reposts of the story where they made the controversy of the story and got a whole bunch yes. of new comments. So clearly somebody there's like, we just, this thing is yeah. blowing the lid off our website. They were, they, they made the comment that, uh, yeah, their, their Facebook account and the comments on their website after the atheist billboard story, they had never gotten that kind of reaction mm-hmm. in that, that short quickly, amount of time yep. to a, to a story. So it was, uh, I, I guess this is a small city, but if, uh, for a small city, it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It, well, and, and predictably, most of the comments are negative, but there is... As in over 50%. As in yes. over 50%. Yeah, I would think so. But there is a fair share of not only people affiliated with CFI who are defending their right to put up this billboard, but there were even, I saw, some religious people saying... I may not agree with them, but they have the right to have the billboard up, and yeah. it's fine. Right. I was really not. encouraged. I by really that. liked that. Yeah. I thought I thought one or two days in for sure this is going to be vandalized. Uh, yep. I was expecting to receive angry email. I mm-hmm. told my wife like, "Get ready, because you're about to be the most hated woman in Grand Rapids <laughs> for a few days, even more than Betsy DeVos." <laughs> but uh, but, um, <laughs> local joke. Uh, <laughs> but but actually, I I think all of us were stunned at yeah. just how positive a lot of the feedback was. Yep. And this was Christians and mm-hmm. uh, people who are more conservative Which minded. Which is the majority of people in West Michigan. Yeah, who right. just said, hey, look, I don't approve of this message or anything like that, but uh, but I'm not going to say that they don't have a right to do it. Right. Um, you know, they have a right just as much as any of us. And so to hear that side out in force, 
was really nice there to see. The predictable negative reaction. If we put up a Christian billboard, they'd go nuts. I'm sorry. If you drive down that same stretch of highway. <laughs> Any other time of the year. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's absurd. And then people equating it to, well, how come they can have this billboard, but we can't pray in schools? As if those are related <laughs> issues at all, because this is a private company. It's not like this billboard is on the uh, the city hall right, property right. or anything like and that. And people threatening um, the billboard company with boycotts, as if any of these people were buying billboards <laughs> anyway, which I thought was a funny threat. It's like, yeah. I'm my, not going to buy a billboard from them. My favorite was <laughs> right. uh, they better take that down or we're going to start getting hurricanes and earthquakes <laughs> and stuff around here, too. Are you serious? Was yeah. it signed Michelle M. Bachman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, so we're worried about terrible weather. Now. Maybe they'll blame winter on us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the we talked earlier in the in the a few episodes past about studies that show that if somebody's reminded that there are atheists out there, it tends to moderate their attitudes. You know, so uh, that yeah. one, one one possible outcome of this could be that that the people who wrote the comments that were mm-hmm. like, hey, fellow Christians, you're making us look bad by cracking on these people and saying stupid things. That element, like there's, them, clearly yeah. there are going to be some people that are just defensive right. and unreachable but, unreachable, but there might be some people that would, that would say, you know, they're out there uh, and this element, and actually they sound a lot more reasonable if you look at the comments than these yeah. other crazy people. And that, was, that was the hope. The right. billboard itself yeah. is totally positive, except that you don't need God. And that, that statement is enough for people's heads to explode and think, no, 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 you cannot even argue that you don't need God for anything. And, yeah. and there is some of that and, reaction and you, you to could it. Read it. You could read it in, in a kind of as we're trying to like reach your youth, like, hey, kids, you don't need God right. to do these things. <laughs> like this right? sneaky kind of around right. the corner. So it, I guess it depends on how you're You don't right. need God. <laughs> My understanding of the purpose of the billboard campaign was that it was twofold. First of all, to actually say to the community, hey, look, we're we're here. We're normal human beings, right, and we right. just want you to know that. It, it also helps and, people in the community who maybe aren't aware yes, of CFI. Right. the community. That was the know, other yeah, one yeah. is, is uh, actually outreach to our own exactly. to say, hey, look, there is a supportive community here yeah. in the area that you can be a part of, and you may not have known that. Yeah. And actually, within hours of putting up the billboard – we got a lot of email yeah. at CFI Michigan of people saying exactly that. Like, we're so glad to to see that, and we're just amazed. We've been looking for something like this for mm-hmm. years, and and the idea that it was happening in our own backyard is is really encouraging. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm pretty biased, but I I don't I don't think I've seen another one of these billboard campaigns that has as positive and yeah. affirming of a message as the one that uh, they decided to choose. Right. I mean, there are, there are plenty of them out there. There are, you know, anti-dogma ads. There is the UK um, bus campaign of a few years back that said, there probably is no God, stop worrying. And that's... That was the cutest one. Yeah, that's the cutest. <laughs> I liked But it's, it's you know, I, I hate to call it confrontational because I don't think it really is confrontational. It's but a it's, bit of a jab when you're a, telling somebody right. stop worrying and live your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah. And this is just, this is nothing but positive. And uh, hopefully the, the majority of people in Grand Rapids will either not 
react to it at all or will have a somewhat positive reaction. Then at least they go, okay, atheists exist. They're not hurting anyone. It's okay. Yeah, we should also mention, too, that the first billboard company that was approached didn't uh, want to do this, which is their right, but uh, certainly, but there there was a screening of message, and we had to go with an out-of-state company to yeah. do the billboard it's, message. You know, it's certainly their right to uh, uh, discriminate against anyone <laughs> whose sign they don't want to put up, but we do acknowledge that it is discrimination if they right. say we're choosing. And it, that can be based on whatever. You know, but it was uh, a fair amount of money that they were offered to put up the billboard. They're a local company, and instead, uh, see if I went with. Oh, so a, if it got um, that much of a backlash, my fantasy was that we would do Poe billboards, where we would go so over the top in a fundamentalist direction, just to see <laughs> whether anybody would complain. Like God is going to strike you. Nine Eleven was God's wrath, and then see if anybody complains oh, at all. I don't think that would be controversial here at all. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be very interesting oh, if boy. only we had the money. Okay, let's wrap up this week with some polyatheism. Polyatheism is our opportunity to take a look at some of the many other gods dreamt up throughout history. Today, we'll cast a gleaming eye toward one of the many Egyptian sun gods, Ra. Ra or Ray, though I prefer Ra because then I can say, Hail to the sun god, he's a fun god, Ra, Ra, Ra. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that in, like, fourth grade. I love it. Like many other gods, especially Egyptian gods, uh, Ra has so many different iterations and tales. In some, he's a product of creation. In others, he's the prime creator of almost everything else. Uh, he's always the slash a sun god, and he's got that neato bird head, uh, similarly enjoyed by another notable Egyptian sun god, Horus. Later, when the Egyptians, probably to impress the Greeks, tried to clean up their mythology, the sun gods all came together and were considered different aspects of the same god with Ra at the heart of it all. Ra Horus was the morning sun, Re Atum was the evening sun, and he was also called Amun-Ra. Uh, even in Akhenaten's great failed monotheistic experiment, the first in the world, the single god was known as Re Horus Aten, or more formally, the Re Horus who rejoices in the horizon in his slash her name of the light which is seen in the sun disk. Isn't that why they changed, they made to, when they reverted back to Amun, they made sure that the Tutankhamun contained his name because they wanted to say that he is a, he's back with the Amun again. Right, No right. more Aten stuff. Tutankhamun I, was the next pharaoh after Akhenaten mm-hmm. and, and Nefertiti and completely said, this monotheistic thing, crap, let's go back to all of our old gods and symbolized by uh, Amun, yeah. I just wanted to say, cue the band, start the chorus. It's Horus, Horus, Horus. Nice. Yeah, I want out of here. Wow. <laughs> Feeling nauseous. Uh, like so many other gods, Ra dabbled in both creating humans and in wiping them out. After overseeing all of creation, Ra descended from the heavens to become the first pharaoh. 
He ruled wise and well, but eventually grew older and older because he was a god. He didn't die. He just got older and older and older. His subjects began mocking his thin frame and wrinkly skin that hung off of it. And Ra did not appreciate that. He wanted to kill all of humanity for it. But being the wise ruler that he was, he called his fellow gods together to get their advice before he just decided to wipe out everyone. He asked them what they thought, and rather than saying, my lord, I know they can be little asshats, but let's (laughs) give them another chance. I have an idea for how we can reach them without committing genocide. No, instead, the gods all agreed, yep, screw them, let's kill them all and let Emma sort them out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this great moment in myth where there's this council of all of the gods and you're expecting one of them to go i've got another idea here's a counter proposal here's a better thing to do nope they all just go yep kill them <laughs> group think group polarization affects <laughs> the gods uh, I, I just want to say a note of sympathy though the older and older i get the more i feel sympathetic with the viewpoint of destroy all humans <laughs> <laughs> exterminate uh Rather than using a lame flood to kill everyone like so many other boring gods do, Ra turned his evil eye toward humanity, and that evil eye was personified in the bloodthirsty, lion-headed goddess of war, Sekhmet. Sekhmet started tearing the human race to shreds. The Nile turned red with blood, and people fled to the hill country and hid like cowards. And the gods Loved it. Why don't they make movies of this stuff? I know, right? They'd watch Sekhmet lap up human blood like a hungry cartoon cat with a saucer of milk and laugh with glee. Until it got to be a little too much for even the gods to handle. Like the soldier who impresses all of his platoon buddies with how many of the enemy he can kill. Everyone's like, yeah, that's awesome. You're the man. And then he pulls out the necklace of baby ears. And suddenly, <laughs> it's not so wow. fun anymore. Baby ears. That's Sekhmet. And uh, not even Ra could stop her. So he comes up with a plan. He sends a handful of messengers to gather up a ton of red okra and bring it back to Heliopolis, where the women have been making a ton of beer. They mix the okra with the beer and get this blood-red drink. Then they spill it out onto the street. So the next day, when Sekhmet comes out for a bit of the old ultraviolence, she sees what she assumes to be blood. Since she's literally bloodthirsty, she starts lapping up the stuff and doesn't stop until she passes out from the alcohol. So totally drunk. Yeah. I love you guys. <laughs> As I'm sure all of you guys can attest, when you drink that much, when you get totally blackout drunk, you often wake up with a new perspective on things. Sun bright, a moon, dim it, dim the sun. Uh, in Sekhmet's case, she woke up a new person entirely. No longer the vicious, lion-headed goddess of war, she was now Hathor, the goddess of love, marriage, and lactation. This represents Ra's pledge that next time he wants to do something about humanity, he will use kinder, gentler ways to instruct them to be better. And by, by the way, that happens to many women in college after the beer night. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Send your hate mail to <laughs> Doubtcast care at gmail.com. <laughs> Partly because of his slight misstep in instructing and rebuking humanity, and partly because he really is a withered old pharaoh, the goddess Isis then decides that it's time for him to be put out to pasture. She takes mud from the ground that Ra drooled on. Yes, he's so old that he drools on the ground. Egyptians don't seem to have a real favorable image of elderly people. (laughs) His head shakes and he drools as he walks. Uh, And she fashions a cobra out of the mud, the first thing that Ra himself did not create. Isis places the cobra on the path where Ra takes his daily, infirmed, shambling walk between Upper and Lower Egypt. It strikes out at Ra as he approaches and then darts away. Ra is in excruciating pain from the bite and, in fact, dying. The gods quickly find Isis and bring her to Ra so that she can help, Isis being primarily a goddess of healing. Isis tells Ra that she can cure him if he tells her his true name. Ra lists off all of the many names of his, the mound builder, the sun, etc., 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 but still Isis refuses to help. None of those names work, she says. Everyone knows those names. I need your secret name. You see, Isis knows that only by knowing his super secret name can anyone have any true power over Ra. Of course, Ra knows this too. She's like the tech support that wants your password. (laughs) Yes. I can't fix this unless you give me the password. Only she speaks the same language he does. And that's why you never (laughs) want to speak Yahweh's true name. Wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, uh, Ra knows this too, but his suffering is so great, so he agrees on one condition. He will tell her as long as she tells no one but the son she will one day have. She agrees, and the name passes from Ra to Isis's heart and later to her son, Horus, the new sun god. She saves Ra's life, but rather than going on as pharaoh, Ra decides it's time to go back to the heavens. One assassination attempt, and the guy goes running. What a wuss. So now Ra takes his place, guiding the boat of the sun through the underworld each night and dropping the souls of the dead off, and Isis's husband, Osiris, takes over as the next pharaoh until, of course, he's killed by his brother. And he, too, went to the underworld where he became the judge of the souls dropped off by so Ra. He doesn't even get to retire. He has to be he has to drive a taxi. Basically. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's really. That's really. They shitty. didn't have universal. You go from so. some sun god to <laughs> sun <laughs> god. <laughs> pharaoh. They didn't have a universal. <laughs> I gotta keep working. <laughs> but then, of course, that's what happens when they start turning on your social security. Well, that could it's be a Tea you. Party run to Egypt, so <laughs> <laughs> they're on their own. Eventually, he gets to merge with the other sun god. So you know, he's he's still got a place of honor. But yeah, for a while, he's uh, he's just the um, ferryman of the dead. So there you have it: the tale of Ra, the bird-headed Egyptian sun god who. Got his own daughter drunk and was the creator and terrorizer of humanity and just one more God worth not believing in. 
Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, send us your comments, questions, challenges, and love letters to doubtcast at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with another Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.